Last week we started talking about a mindset to build the kingdom. And we were in Nehemiah chapter 4. And there's some things that, um, that I wanted to look at there in Nehemiah. Um, and we will. And we talked about what that represented, that city Jerusalem. We looked at some scripture in the New Testament and how those real events in the Old Testament, that real city and those real historical events, how they spoke of something that was greater and more eternal than something in the natural or in the temporal realm. When we talk about building the kingdom, uh, we think about or we talk about it in terms of being successful or building to a successful end. What, what, what does that really mean? Or when we talk about building the church, Jesus said in Matthew 16, he said, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And we read that scripture and it's kind of nebulous to us. It's like, okay, Jesus is going to build his church. Well, well, what does that look like? How big is the building, or where is the building? And I mean, we, we think in such finite terms. Or we talk about, or we think about, you've come here today, all of you made a decision to get up on Sunday morning and to come to this place to worship God. Or why ever you came. Ultimately, I, I think everybody would say, well, I, ultimately I came to worship God. Why, why are you here? Not just here in this building. Why are you here on this earth? Why did God give you life? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about just statistically, if we just talk totally and completely in statistical terms, you realize how much of a statistical miracle you are, the fact that you're just here, that you are here. You know, we're doing the Truth Project on Sunday evenings, and, and of course, in the course of, of going through those uh, lessons or those um, different segments, and we're talking about a lot about truth claims and Everything from apologetics, why we can believe the scripture, to, you know, now we're talking about science and uh, evolution. And, and you just talk about things like that in pure mathematical or statistical terms. You think about who you are, not just you as a human being who has life, but I'm talking about who you are as a unique person. Your thumbprint, we know. Scientifically, no two thumbprints are the same. There's nothing about you, there's, there's no one else that is just like you. You are absolutely unique. What are the chances that you made it here? It's, it's, it's pretty amazing, just the fact that you're here. Why? Why are you here? Why am I here? Why are we here? 
And one of the things that, in talking about this and, and talking about having a mindset to build the kingdom, and we, we talk about having a cause and a purpose greater than ourselves. And oftentimes, you know, I've said this, I've asked this question before, in a sense I'm asking it today in a general term, but you, you say, you know, I, I want to know wh- why am I here? What, what's my purpose? And when we ask that question, we often think in terms of a specific task. It's like, okay, what specific task does God have for me in this life, on this earth? But, but it's not so much about thinking of, am I supposed to be a, a fireman? Am I supposed to be a doctor? Am I supposed to be a lawyer? What, what does God want me to be? It's not, not really about that. It's bigger than that. We live our lives and we get really wrapped up in our lives. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but we can't become so wrapped up in our personal lives that we lose sight of the greater cause, the greater purpose that is beyond ourselves and beyond our own life and our own families and our own circumstances. This kind of goes to the whole, the whole conversation you might have with someone who says, you know, I don't believe in God. I believe we're a product of evolution. We're just a product of chance. We just evolved into this. I just evolved into who I am. That tree evolved into what it is. That fish evolved into what it is. It's just purely, there's no greater meaning There's no greater purpose. We just are here because. Just what happened. That's a sad existence. You really stop and think about it. If we're not living for something beyond ourselves, if there's not a purpose beyond us, greater than ourselves, man, we really are in sad shape. And we as Christians can look at the atheist or the evolutionist and say, man, I, I'm, I feel sorry for them because they just don't have any sense of a greater purpose. But yet, oftentimes as Christians, we do the same thing and even in our faith in God. And we live our lives and our lives are so myopic, so narrowly focused that we can't see the greater purpose of why we're here. Because we... We live in this world that we've created and things come in and out of that world, that's fine, but we, we can't see much beyond that. We don't think much beyond that. We make all of our decisions based on this little world that we've created, our comfort zone or whatever we want to call it. And what I'm saying to you is we're here for something greater than ourselves, greater than any world we can fashion for ourselves, any, whatever parameters you want to put on, I'm telling you what, we're here for something greater. In 1908, there was a, there was a gentleman, his last name was Hyde. And he, was, he went to India as a missionary. 
And do you know, he, he, he formed a thing called the Punjab um, Prayer. What was it? The Punjab Prayer Union or something like that. And, and in 1908, he believed God for what, what they thought, what, when I say they, the, the evangelical world, the people who were praying for him, the people that were over there in India, in Pakistan. In 1908, he believed God for the impossible. He believed God that that year, through their prayers, he, he had a hearing impediment. He couldn't hear very well, so therefore he, he never could learn the language. So he could, he could not communicate with the people very well because he couldn't hear the language, so he couldn't, he couldn't pick it up. But what he did do, he couldn't speak to them very well in their own language, but, but he committed himself to prayer. And he began to pray. And they say that his prayers, when they would come together for their association meetings, or their, you know, when all the missionaries would come in, his prayers were so violent. He would pray so violently that God would give them souls. That God would bring salvation. He prayed so violently that actually, two years before he died, he didn't die an old man. He had a heart condition and the doctor found that his heart had moved from the left side of his chest over to the right side of his chest cavity. And they believe that he, he just travailed so much in prayer that over time... And the doctor said, you, you won't live. If you don't stop doing what you're doing, if you don't just rest, you're going to be dead in weeks. He lived two more years after that. Now, this, this was several years later, but in 1908, he believed God for the impossible. Here's what the impossible, here's what everybody said was impossible to even think of, that in the coming year, they would see one person in what we know to be Pakistan and India today, that in that year there would be an equivalent of one person a day in that whole country, that one person a day would give their life to Christ. They said it will never happen. It's impossible. You'll never see. He was believing God for 400 souls. They said, you'll never, you'll never see 400 souls come to Christ in a year. It's, 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 it's impossible. Now, you think about the hundreds of millions of people that live in that country, but yet 400 souls saved to them was an impossibility. You know what happened? At the end of that year, they had more than 400 souls saved. When they came together again, he said, I'm believing God this year for 800 souls. They said, it'll never happen. I think actually he believed for 1,000. They said, it'll never happen. You know what? It happened. And they committed to pray. And they believed God to do the impossible. You know why they prayed and why this man committed his life and didn't care about 
himself to the point that he probably shortened his physical life, if we want to say that. I don't know that he did. I think God took him home when it was time for him to go home. But according to the medical community and the people around him, he just wore himself out for God. But, but you know what he did in the, in the meantime? Because of his efforts, because of his commitment to pray, because of his commitment to encourage others to pray... What today seems like nothing, 400 people in a year. I mean, in India now, you can have crusades and have thousands come to Christ in in an evening. And just think, barely 100 years ago, that was unthinkable. To even find one person a day in India that would give their life to Jesus was, was an unthinkable thing to the people that were committing their lives to that nation. Just, just barely 100 years ago. Yeah, think about that. You think about where we've come in 100 years. Think about where we've come from in 2,000 years. From 120 people coming out of an upper room in Jerusalem to now... Billions of people on the earth who have confessed Christ as their Savior. Do you realize how that happened? That did not happen because that 120 who came out of that upper room decided to live unto themselves. Do you realize that this gospel has been spread because men and women and children have chosen to spread it? And they have lived beyond themselves, outside of themselves, for a purpose and a cause in a life greater than themselves. Because they realized what Christ did was something that was much greater than just the sum total of their life and their existence or the life and the existence of their immediate family and friends and whatever was going on in their life, that what Christ died for was much greater than that. And they lived their lives accordingly. And they prayed. They prayed like praying Hyde. That's what they called him. They prayed with a desperation because they felt the urgency. Do you feel the urgency? See, I'm, I'm convinced of this. You can call me whatever you want. But I'm convinced that the church in America does not feel the urgency. Do you realize we're in a life and death struggle? Whether you believe it or not, there is a life and death struggle taking place all around us. Jesus said the enemy 
The thief comes but to kill, steal, and destroy. He, he was actually, in John 10 there, he's actually talking about false teachers. But false teachers are just instruments in the hand of the ultimate deceiver. Satan who doesn't want you to really know and understand the greater purpose. So that fruit looks pretty good. I'll go ahead and eat it. Didn't God say you won't die? Go ahead and live to yourself. See, that's the temptation that comes to us. And if you listen to what the world is telling us, you're just a product of a biological accident so many hundreds of trillions of years ago. Or we can listen to the message that comes from many pulpits that this this faith it's all about you baby god just wants you to be successful god wants you to be happy he's made a way for that and i do believe that god wants you to be happy but what i'm telling you is your happiness is not about you in living for him in living beyond yourself, in living for something greater than yourself, greater than your own personal success, greater than your own personal happiness, greater than what you can achieve, what you can get, in living for something greater than yourself, you will find true fulfillment. Because you'll find His happiness. You'll find His joy. What will move us? What will bring us to a place where we feel the urgency and understand that this is not just about a couple of hours on a Sunday morning? That this is not just about whether all the chairs are full or not? Whether we have more money than we need or not? Do you realize this is not about any of that? The prayer was, give me souls or I die. And I believe that man who prayed that prayer really meant that. God, if you do not give me souls, then I might as well just die. God, if I don't see salvation come, if I don't see the salvation of men's souls, then Lord, there's no reason for me to be here. That is a man who lived beyond himself. Whose life was not about himself, but his life was about someone and something greater than himself. We all 
here would believe, we would say that we believe, and I believe that you do, that there is a life beyond after this life. There are rewards waiting for us. But really, what is all that about? Are we really living our lives as though there is something after this? That this is, this is really not what it's all about. This is a journey I'm on. And we really will live and reign on this earth with Jesus. But there is something ahead of us. There's something greater that's waiting to be manifest, to be made known. Or are we living our lives as though this is the end all and be all? Or are we living our lives with an understanding that there there is the greatest yet to come? And as I give my life to that greater cause and that greater purpose, as I yield up my life, this is what Jesus meant, I believe, when he said, if you desire to follow me, then take up your cross and come after me. If you desire to be my disciple, then, then take up your cross and follow me daily. If you want to find life, then lose your life here. Lose it. We want to find life and we want to keep our life. That's the American way. This is what we've been taught. This is what we're conditioned. We don't have to lose anything. We get to keep what we've got, plus God's going to give us everything else. But that's not what the Scripture says. The Scripture says, I've got to be willing to lay down my life right now. But in laying down my life right now, I'm going to gain something that I will never be able to gain in this world that's of this world. And whatever I could amass that's of this world, if I gain the whole world in fact, it means nothing compared to losing my soul. That Jesus is not just a religion. Jesus is not just someone I go and pay homage to on Sunday. Jesus is not just, I had a conversation with someone Friday night and they, they work for uh, Apple. And they were, they have this uh, Apple Christian Association, they were telling me. Because Apple doesn't, they're tolerant. They, you know, I guess they have the Apple Buddhist Association, the Apple Hindu Association, they got the Apple Christian Association. And, and this person was telling me how they have people that work there from all over the world. And she was talking to some Christians from Europe, and they said, well, we're cultural Christians. In other words, she's like, what does that mean? Like, well, we don't believe in, we don't really believe in Jesus. We don't believe in the Bible. We're cultural Christians. We're, we're raised in a culture that adheres to Christian values, and we consider ourselves culture, cultural Christians. But we, we don't really believe in God. It's kind of hard to even understand that, isn't it? 
Yet we go by the name Christian, but, but before we throw rocks at those cultural Christians from Europe, we need to stop and think about our own lives. What is this Christianity about that we profess? What is this Christianity about that we, we call ourselves Christian? What is this Christianity about that we get up and go to church on Sunday or Wednesday? Is that all it is? I mean, really. Is this all Christianity is? Is it just about us coming here on Wednesday and Sunday and singing some songs and learning some Bible? And then we go out and we do what? I mean, do you just want to make sure that you're good to go so when you die you get to go to heaven, you don't have to go to hell? Is that what our Christianity is about? Is it just an insurance policy that, that I make sure I get to go to the good place when I die? Do you know that that's not why Jesus died for you? Just so you get to go to the good place when you die? That's not what Christianity is about. Christianity is not about when you die. Christianity is about living right now. And the only reason... If you have hope that when you die, you will go to the good place, is because somebody lived outside of themselves. Somebody lived for a cause greater than themselves. Somebody spread the good news. Somebody paid a price. Somebody prayed. Somebody fought. Somebody interceded. Somebody took a step of faith and witnessed and proclaimed the truth. And somehow in God's sovereignty from 2,000 years ago to right now, there is a connection that's been made all the way back to the cross of Calvary that's caused every one of us to be sitting here listening to the words that I'm speaking right now, talking about a Savior who died on a cross for you. It didn't just happen by accident. It's not a product of spiritual evolution. Someone purposed to make known the gospel. Someone purposed to live the gospel. And I'm going to tell you this. As complacent and as apathetic and as in error, we might say the church in America is. I'm telling you what, God always has a remnant. Even here, though you might not see it or hear it on the airwaves very often, I'm telling you what, there is a remnant of people who understand what this gospel is about, who understand that our Christianity is about more than just me and my four. That it's about much more than how successful I am in this life. What my 401k, what my retirement looks like at the end of my life. It's more than how big my house is. What kind of car I drive. Whether I'm blessed going in and blessed going out. We can use all the catchphrases we want. It's about more than that. This is about life and about death. Do you feel that, Christian? Do you feel the urgency that people are really dying and going to hell? They really are. Do you understand 
that the gospel does not just get magically preached. There aren't angels flying around in the sky preaching the gospel. God has entrusted to men and to women and to children to live and to preach and to make known the gospel through the very lives that we're called to live every day. Do you realize that prayer is not just about giving my wish list to God to get my bills paid or to get my body healed or to get my boyfriend or my girlfriend or the... You you understand. God cares about all of those things because they affect us. But I'm telling you what, what God calls us to as prayer people of prayer and people of intercession is much greater than just what happens in my life. The question is, how is my life transforming the lives of others? How am I able, how is God able to use what He has given to me, my life, my home, my everything that, everything that I am blessed to have, how is God able to use that for his glory and for his good, in in making the gospel known, in seeing real spiritual transformation take place in the lives of people. If I'm not seeing that, do I have a burden to pray? See, as a pastor, here's, here's the temptation for us pastors. See, I'll be honest with you. I don't like the fact that there is one empty chair in this building, much less uh, a lot more than one. I don't like the fact that more than half the chairs in this room are empty. Here's the question I have to ask myself. Pastor, why are you not happy about that? Are you not happy about that because it affects your sense of pride, or your sense of success? Or am I not happy about that because every empty chair represents a person that doesn't know Christ and potentially is lost and on their way to hell? See, if I just want to figure out a way to fill the building up so that our ministry looks successful, then I have missed the entire point of why I'm even standing up here talking to you. Do you know there are people that will not come to this church because we're not big enough? Because our building's not impressive enough? Because the image that this ministry portrays is not what they desire? I'm not saying that in, in a... I mean, it is what it is. That's just kind of consistent with our culture today. I've had people tell me personally, I'll never go to a small church again. Man, I just love walking in, you know, and there's thousands of people. I love going to get my Starbucks, and I just, you know. Is that what our Christianity is about? Is that, listen to me, church, is that what our Christianity is about? In Punjab region of Pakistan and India in 1908, they didn't even know what any of that was. They didn't even have any buildings. They were believing God for the absolute impossible 
that maybe, just maybe, if we pray hard enough and believe hard enough in a population of hundreds of millions, maybe 400 people will get saved this year. That's unthinkable for us. Yet just barely 100 years ago, that's where the church was in India. And here we are in America. Writing and reading books about how to be more successful, how to be more prosperous, how to be more happy, how to have more peace, how to get all I can get out of my faith. What about, what am I going to give? What am I going to give for the cause? Can I give 30 minutes a day to pray? Can I give 30 minutes a day to pray and believe for souls to be saved? Is that too great a sacrifice? You know, for years, for years, we never had cable. We had whatever the rabbit ears would get us. Now, I have cable. Actually, I've got direct TV. You know how many hours you can spend watching Storage Wars, Duck Dynasty, Gold Rush, Alaska, Gold Rush, Jungle. They got a reality show for everything you can imagine. It is absolutely unbelievable to me. Sometimes, the other day I turned it on. You know what I spend most of my time doing when I'm sitting there? Scrolling. And I realized, God, there's, I I don't know, I guess... I guess those channel numbers that go up to the, almost to a thousand, I guess if you paid enough money, can you, is there really, are there really shows that are on all of those channels? I mean, just the, just the, the ones that I have that are more than I can watch. I'm like, to have so many options, there is absolutely nothing here. But yet... Can we spend 30 minutes a day to pray for the salvation of men's souls? Oh, I'm too busy, Pastor. I've got too much to do. Really? How many episodes of whatever reality TV show do you have recorded on your playlist? I spent multiple hours yesterday watching football. I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you. It wasn't real enjoyable either. Though it could have been worse. But sometimes I think, Lord, what does all of this mean in the grand scheme of things? Church, can we pray for 30 minutes a day? Not so this building will be full of people and we have more tithe money coming in and we're, we're in the black instead of in the red because we want our ministry to be successful. Can we pray because we really, really yearn for souls to be saved?
Can we pray that God would use us, not the person sitting next to you, not the pastor, but God would use me, that you would pray and say, God, use me to reach a soul for Christ. That my life would be a witness to Christ. That my life would be a manifestation of the kingdom. That my life would be at least a signpost to the kingdom of God. Or are we just Christians in name only? I'm going to tell you, in heaven, there will be no Christians in name only. There will be none. You know, in politics, we have dinos and rhinos. There is no such thing in the kingdom of God. There is not. Where are you? Where are you in your faith? Where is your desperation? I'm asking that question and and I'm included in there. Where is my desperation for the kingdom? Not my desperation for Christ Fellowship Church. My desperation for the kingdom. My desperation to see Taylor, Texas affected by the gospel. That the that the hundreds and hundreds of people that live in this town that believe they're okay because they go by the name Christian or because they're sitting in a building that has a church label on it this morning, they think they're okay, or, or the, even the more of them who won't even darken the door of a church, who don't even believe in God, do you know our city is full of them? You don't have to go to Mexico, you don't have to go to India, you don't have to go to China, to find a mission field. We've got a mission field right here. And you're not sitting in China or India or Mexico in church this morning. You're sitting in Taylor, Texas. You know why you are? Whether you believe it or not, because this is where God has you. And if God has you in Taylor, He's got you in Taylor for something greater than yourself. Something greater than just your personal happiness and personal success. Believe me, I want you all to be personally happy and personally successful. But that is not what our life is about. I am convinced if we will give ourselves fully to Christ and the cause of Christ, all of that other stuff will take care of itself. You know how I know? Because that's exactly what Jesus tells us. Seek ye first the kingdom and its righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Don't worry about where you're going to live. Don't worry about your clothes. Don't worry about your food. Jesus said, look at the birds. Look at the flowers. Look at the creation around you. Your Father in heaven loves you and cares for you more than all of these. Seek ye first the kingdom and its righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. Christian, are you living for a cause and a purpose greater than yourself? Are you? 
Is your Christianity about something more? These are questions that I'm really encouraging you to ask yourself. You know, when I moved here in 1985, I didn't move here because I was a Christian. I was newly saved. And honestly, for 10 years, I begged God to let me leave here. One time, I really thought he had answered my prayer. Only for him to just do something so miraculous, it it was undeniable. And at that point in time, I, I said, that's it. Okay, God, I give up. And out of that, God gave me a love for this place. And until God, I have to believe God will make it just as clear as He he made it when He took all doubt away from me that this is where I'm supposed to be. God wants me to leave. I have to believe that He'll he'll make it just as clear to me. But see, it's not good enough just to be here and say, well, I love Taylor. I've got great friends here. My family's here. I've grown to love this city and this area. I, I have. All that's true. But that's not why I'm here. That's not why I'm here. And that's not why you're here. All of those years, those 10 years that I hated being here, that I tried to find a way to leave here, it was never about my happiness. It was never about whether I liked this place or not. It was about the will of God. And in my immaturity spiritually, I I knew that. My mother would beg me, please move back home. My family would beg me, please move back home. And the only answer I had for them was, you're going to have to pray. I can't tell you why, I just know this is where I'm supposed to be. Today, you might not know why you're here. You're here for God. You're here for his kingdom. Wherever you are, that's that's why you're there. It's not about being in a specific place. It's not about doing a specific thing. So we have this mindset, as soon as God tells me what I'm supposed to do, then I'm going to do it for him. No, that's wrong thinking. You are... To represent him, you are to manifest his life. You are to manifest his kingdom. 
You are to manifest the salvation that has taken possession of you. You are to do that wherever you are in everything that you're doing. There are people in your life that God wants to touch through you. You say, well, but I don't, I don't know the Bible. I don't, don't know how to talk to them. Listen, do you know how to pray? Do you know how to pray? Can you get on your knees and can you cry out to God for the souls of your friends, for the souls of your family, with a desperation? That is beyond yourself. Yes, you can. And out of that heart of desperation, and out of your prayer in desperation for souls to be saved, for God to move by His Spirit, for God to wake up His church, for God to stir His people... We're all waiting for God to stir His people, but no one wants to stir the pot. Listen, when you pray for revival, when you pray for reformation, when you pray for transformation, pray that it begin in your heart first. Because it's not just good enough that it comes to everybody else. It needs to come to you. And until it comes to you, you know what? It might not come to somebody else. Because you might be the very link that God will use to touch that other person's life. Christian, do you feel the urgency? Do you feel the desperation? Do you know that you're really in a life and death struggle, a spiritual battle? The label you go by, what does it really mean? Do you understand the importance of coming here together? It's important. Our assembling together is important. You know, we could... I thought about this. I thought, you know, we we need to set a specific night and, and pray. Do you know what would happen? You set that specific night and you have the same four or five people that do everything else come to pray. You know what needs to happen? People begin, they need to begin to pray. They need to begin to get down on their knees in their own closets, in their own homes, in their own places, and become desperate before God for the souls of men to be saved. And when that desperation takes hold of you, you know what you'll be doing? You'll be coming to me going, Pastor, can, can I come to the church and pray? Do you mind if I come to the church on whatever night and, and, and begin to pray? Because there's a, a desperation in our hearts. Say, well, well, as soon as I feel that desperation, I'll do that. Are you praying? Are you praying for desperation? Would you dare to pray, God, make me desperate? God, make me spiritually desperate. 
Would you dare to pray that? Go to Matthew chapter 7. You were wondering when I was going to get to Scripture, weren't you? Well, I decided to end with it instead of start with it. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Now, what's not, what you don't see there, that word ask, it could just as easily be translated in the English, keep on asking, and it will be given to you. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and it shall be open to you. For everyone who keeps on shall receive. Go to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, verse 8. Jesus is teaching about prayer. Have you ever noticed in the Bible that things begin with prayer? You know, before Peter preached his famous sermon on the day of Pentecost in which 3,000 people were prayed, you know what they were doing? They, were, they had been at least 10 days in prayer in the upper room. Now, while they're 10 days in prayer in the upper room, you know, Peter didn't know that he was going to preach that sermon. Peter was not up there preparing his famous sermon on the day of Pentecost for 10 days. Peter had no idea he was going to do what he did. They just went and they prayed because they didn't know what else to do because Jesus told them, go and wait, go and tarry. So they went and they tarried. They waited in faith and they prayed. How do we know? Because the Bible says they prayed. They were all in one place in one accord in prayer. And we see that that pattern continues throughout the book of Acts there. And Jesus here is teaching about prayer in verse 8, Luke eleven eight. He says, I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Now, the worst thing you can do is take the Scripture and try to figure out whether God is just playing mind games with you. Well, has God not answered my prayers? He just, well, uh, please don't do that. That's not the point of the Scripture. The point of the Scripture is to teach us something about persistence. People throughout history have persistently prayed. Jeremiah prayed and preached for 23 years, warning the children of Israel. And you know what he got for all of his time? They threw him in a dungeon, left him for dead. He never won friends and influenced too many people, but he was true to God. And he was passionate. He was called the weeping prophet. He would go through the streets and he would weep because of what he knew the true condition of the people of God was. Oh, he saw all the bells and whistles and all the things that were outward, 
He knew the true condition. Not because he's your friend, but because of your persistence. So I say to you, verse 9, ask. Same thing. So I say to you, keep asking, and it will be given to you. Keep seeking, and you will find. Keep knocking, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who keeps asking receives, and he who keeps seeking finds. And to him who keeps knocking, it will be opened. He doesn't say how long to keep asking. He doesn't say how long to keep seeking and to keep knocking. He just says keep asking. It's open-ended. Just like Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples. He didn't say for how long. It's open-ended. Well, how long do we go? You, you, You go and you don't stop. How long do I ask? You keep asking and you don't stop. Because if we're living beyond ourselves, at what point do you want to stop asking for souls to be saved? At what point do you want to stop asking for spiritual transformation to take place in your city, in your family, in your realm of influence? When do you want to stop seeing that happen? Every day people are born. Every day there's an opportunity for spiritual transformation. to take. When do you want to stop asking? When do you want to stop seeking? When do you want to stop knocking? We don't. But if this is only about getting finite things, well, then we can come to the end of our asking, seeking, and knocking, can't we? But if we understand this is about something that's not finite, this is about something that's eternal and spiritual. God has put you, he has put me on the face of this earth to keep asking, to keep seeking, to keep knocking that his kingdom will do what it's promised to do, that it will keep growing and keep expanding, that salvation will keep coming to those who are lost. And he has chosen that that salvation is preached through the mouths of men and is received through the ears of of men that means men must preach it and men must hear it in order for the gospel to do what it's promised to do and that is to powerfully save people Christian will you pray and if you don't feel the desperation and the urgency will you begin by praying that God would make you desperate and God would give you a sense of urgency I'm asking you I'm asking you, will you commit to pray 30 minutes a day? I don't care how you do it or when you do it. Will you ask God to help you commit to pray 30 minutes a day, whether you do it in six, five-minute intervals or three, ten-minute intervals? Would you begin by asking that God would make you desperate, that you would begin to feel His urgency? for salvation. Today is the day. Now is the time. This is the day of salvation. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. No one is. Do you wish that these seats were filled? 
because you want to see the souls of men saved, because you want to do what God's commissioned us to do, make disciples. Say, well, I don't know much, Pastor Jeff. Can you pray? That's what I'm asking you. Can you pray? I don't care how much you know. Can you pray? Will you pray? Will you begin to let God show you people in a different light? That person that you have a problem with, instead of being angry with them, maybe you should have compassion because they have been deceived by the enemy. Those people we look at and those things in our culture that we look at and we just kind of despise it. Ask that God would give you a heart of compassion and you'd begin to see people in a way that you have not seen them before and you begin to pray that they be saved because that's really what they need. They need to be saved. They need to be saved. They don't need to be killed. They don't need to be shot, put in jail. They need Jesus. Christian, you might be the one God will use to show them Jesus. Can you pray? Church, I'm asking you, not, I'm, not, I'm not asking you to make this commitment to me. I'm asking you to go to God in prayer and you make a commitment to God. And you ask God to give you the grace to begin to pray 30 minutes a day for transformation to take place in your life in our life as a church, in this city, that we would begin to live with a cause and a purpose greater than ourselves. That we would begin to live beyond ourselves and understand that we're here for a reason. Will you do that? Will you do that? Let's all stand. you're having problems with doubt and unbelief, pray that God would grant you repentance and move you from your unbelief. That He would move you from your hard, stubborn, prideful heart. Father, I pray that You would, by Your Spirit, move on Your people. Lord, we have examples throughout history of how you have moved armies. Lord, in World War II, you moved a whole German Air Force for no explainable reason other than there were men and women praying. God, your word says the heart of the king is in your hand. You turn his heart like the course of a river. And Lord, I'm asking you today that you would take our hearts and you would turn our hearts. That God, you would deliver us from selfish thinking and selfish living. That you would expand our vision, God. Heal us from our blindness, God. And help us to see that there is something greater than just what we are so easily focused on in our own lives. That God, you saved us. Indeed, you even created us and put us on this earth for a reason and a purpose greater than ourselves. God, help us to begin to live with that sense of purpose. God, deliver us from complacency and apathy. Move 
us by your spirit, God. Stir us by your spirit, God. I pray that you would put in our hearts, God, an urgency, a desire to pray, to see the souls of men saved, to see spiritual transformation take place in our own lives, in those around us, and in our city, that we would see God move by your spirit in us and around us, that we would be people persistent, that we would not give up simply because we have not seen our prayers answered, but we would do as you have commanded us to do, Jesus, that if we will keep on asking and seeking and knocking and praying, Lord, it will be given. The answer will come. We will find. It will be open. You promised that in your word, Lord Jesus. Help us to be people, God, that don't trust in simply what we see, but we trust and we walk by faith in what you have declared in your eternal word. God, we are eternal beings saved by the blood of the Lamb. We're your people, a holy a royal priesthood in this earth. Help us, God, to fulfill that role, to pray, to intercede, to see your will be done on this earth, even as it is in heaven. That your kingdom come, that your will be done, Father, to your glory. We ask this. Move on us, God. Don't let us be complacent. Don't let us be comfortable. I pray, God, you discomfort us and disturb us to the point, not just Christ fellowship, but as a nation, that we would once again become desperate to pray, to seek the face of God, to see God move by His Spirit in this land. Lord, that we would humble ourselves before you. You would hear from heaven, that we would repent of our wickedness, and you would indeed heal our land, God. We ask this, Lord, in the name of Jesus. We ask it, God, for your glory. Be glorified in us, Lord, personally and corporately. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.